What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box of apartments. I light up. Call myself a cognac, uh, and I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. <laughs> what a picture. Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? Didn't start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Ramen Rant. I am your host, Blake Howard. This is the One Heat Minute Patreon. Thank you so much for all of your support. You're all amazing. Seriously keeping the lights on over here and continuing to allow me to have really um, drastically stupid ideas about projects and how much time they're actually going to take me to do in the way that I want to do them. But you guys are helping me do that. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you. Um, I gave a big shout out to a bunch of people who are patrons on the show last time. I want to shout out the person I was speaking to now because he's been really such an immense uh, supporter looking over to me like an older brother, I guess, uh, from across the Atlantic and Pacific oceans, whichever direction uh, you may want to look from. Um, And been a huge supporter of everything we've done and huge encouragement. And I distinctly remember on the day that the one heat minute, one heat minute finale dropped, which in Australia was my son's birthday. So I dropped it on purpose on my son's first birthday because then I could walk away from my computer and my phone and not look. I just was like, I knew what was there. It was such an amazing day. And I remember going back through much later that night. My my son was in bed. My daughter was in bed and I had some friends over and we're having a few celebratory bevies. And I remember this man's tweet was something to the effect of, and I remember it to this day. It was like, I've never seen the internet so happy. <laughs> Film Twitter, like collectively so joyful on one day. Um, and it's all around the show. So uh, he's been such an amazing friend. I'm excited to be working with him on something really cool. I'll talk about it at the end of the show. But he's joining me today uh, for a really special episode of Rum and Rant because it's we're talking about a movie that is now finally getting a bit more love uh, in the wake of Oscar nominations. He's an editor-at-large at really the coolest independent uh, movie publication online, Brightwell Dark Room. There is seriously, he and my dear friend Travis Woods really try to see who can write the most <laughs> and the most definitively about any movie that they write. So it's so exhaustive. You're just like, I would never even tackle talking about that thing again unless it was with this person. Um, that is my guest, Ethan Warren. Ethan, man, thank you so much for doing the show. And we're talking about what I said was like a marriage of, I don't know, Paul Verhoeven and John Carpenter and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is the beautiful and heartfelt and amazing animated film, The Mitchells versus The Machines. How are you, my friend? 
I'm doing great. I kind of want to thank your patrons too, because like, <laughs> I mean, this is, I've, this is my fourth visit to the network and like the patrons are really helping you carve out something that's so innovative and you're, you're pushing what movie podcasts are right now. And, and, you know, oh, thank, thank you. God you're, you're getting the recognition for it. So thank you to the patrons for giving me a place to come on and talk <laughs> about my silly stuff. And like, like since we last talked, I, you have talked to Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, what the hell, man? Like, we can get to the Mitchells versus the Machine. <laughs> well, this is, this is huge. For, firstly, again, the love of One Heat Minute continues to go on. So I've, I've developed some great friendships. And, you know, even industry people like Mike Bard, who was a guest on One Heat Minute, but is actually the head of Universal Pictures Australasia. And he's become a friend. And he's a, a, a phenomenal supporter and really encouraging of everything we do. And I knew that I knew that Universal in Australia had access to Licorice Pizza. I didn't tell our dear friend and colleague, Travis Woods, but I just quietly said to Mike, I'm like, listen, I know that this is usually reserved for television in Australia or some of our big public networks, huge things. I said, but if I could do anything, I'd like to pitch you on letting us talk to Paul Thomas Anderson. Because number one, we have an amazing and voracious and passionate group of Paul Thomas Anderson people who listen to our great show, Increment Vice. But wouldn't it be great for us to talk about Vice, to talk about his career, and then obviously to talk about Licorice Pizza. And so Mike was like a hugely encouraging and the people there, Nathan and Mike were just so amazing, um, helping make it happen and grease the wheels for us. And so we were just like, I, I got it planned. And then I just didn't tell Travis until a week before. I said, guess what? Oh, on this day, good. I don't care yeah. what you're doing. Um, I, what are you doing next Friday? Oh, I don't know. I said, I don't care what you're doing. We're talking to Paul Thomas Anderson. And he was just like, son of a bitch. You son <laughs> of a bitch. You did it. Voice, you, yeah. you did it. And I was like, so we're going to do it. So yeah, look, it was absolutely incredible. But, you know, we're talking now over Zoom as we're recording this. And I was, so we, there was, we couldn't see Paul cause he was on his phone, I think in his home when he was recording. So he didn't have access to zoom and everyone was just like dialing into this, like rotating zoom call with him. And, uh, but I got to watch Travis ask Paul Thomas Anderson questions and hear Paul talking to Travis. So I was here like this giddy, uh, uh, like giddy fanboying over watching like someone who you know, like you, it'd be like watching you talk to Paul Thomas Anderson, like someone who loves the guy so deeply and loves the movies that we're talking about and just watching that interaction. So it was the coolest thing for me because it was like something that couldn't happen with some of the other great people I've spoken to, which is just me having a one-to-one -one combo with him. But it was so cool to do it with Trav because it was like, oh. So yeah, it was a really like, I mean, it was amazing. It was such a lovely surprise to give everyone uh, as a, Chris, uh, a Christmas present last year. It was really cool. Well, and it's it's a genuinely like great interview. I mean, I, I have listened to or read every interview that he's done on this tour. And that was that was you, you got stuff out of him that nobody else did. <laughs> oh, our favorite thing is, you know, this is you know, it's a, a good interview when we've got one more question and a publicist interrupts. No, you don't. And then the, the talent being the immense talent of Paul Thomas Hansen is like, no, they've got one more. And then like, and then I shouldn't have given one. you one more. <laughs> you shits. Oh, yeah. bless him. That was great. Really, really great. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just the community that is built up around that original show. I just, I can't thank it enough. Like for example, Podcaster and Commander, this is a little exclusive thing for our patrons. Um, Peter Weir has spoken to us and yeah. which is incredible. Um, but a really great filmmaker, Anthony Morris, who 
directed a film called Hotel Mumbai, uh, which is a very, it's a harrowing story of terrorist attacks that took place in Mumbai a few years ago. And it premiered at the Adelaide Film Festival a couple of years ago. And um, I've been watching his film since he made some terrific short films. And he got a lot of attention just for being like this incredibly, uh, like he would be able to just sort of heighten these scenes of tension. And so Hotel Mumbai is just harrowing, but it's brilliant. And uh, he actually co-wrote the film with John Colley, who wrote Master and Commander with Peter Weir. And so I reached out to Ant during the week because I'd had this vague thing in my head, like, I think I've met John Colley. Like, I'd, I'd known that I maybe had. And I was, like, racking my brain. Where did I meet him? What? And I was going back through my notes. I was like, where could it have been? And I knew it wasn't long. I knew it was, like, two seconds. And I was like, oh, I was having a beer with Ant after the premiere. I was seeing him and we were just shooting the breeze. I think Ant was having a cigarette, like, after this really beautiful hometown welcome of people seeing his film. And I met John briefly. And so I emailed Anthony. And I was like, hey, could you pass me on to John if that's okay? Like, I don't want to be a burden, but it, could you do it? And then two seconds later, he'd emailed John and emailed me. And so now John Colley is going to be part of Podcaster and Commander, it looks like, because like in two seconds that happened. So that's just another great thing of the community. And also a huge Heat fan for like the entire duration of One Heat Minute, he would text me Heat quotes um, when he was listening to the show and shooting the breeze. So yeah, it's been really brilliant. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I feel like pretty blessed of the little niche we're carving out for ourselves. And so it's, uh, it's, you know, I say that I'm, you know, in the, in the orchestra of film criticism, I'm up the back playing the triangle, but man, I'm, I'm wailing on that triangle, you know, I'm, I'm like you up sure there. Are. <laughs> that's, that's where I am at the moment. Well, you wouldn't have carved the niche out if it wasn't, you know, if you, if you couldn't, couldn't fill the niche. I don't know. That's, that's a really weird, that metaphor got really weird. Really fast. We'll leave that in the dust. So you're currently with Wallflower Books writing a Paul Thomas Anderson book. I know you and I have talked offline about it, but how is that process going right now? Like how far along are we? When can we expect this beautiful, I mean, I guess, tome on the work of Paul Thomas Anderson from you? Cause I know it would be nothing short of a tome. Well, it's, it's a crazy time because I finished it last summer. And then in the fall, they said, what if you unfinished it? <laughs> and, and what if we gave you a few more months and you, and you worked licorice pizza into it? Great. And it was the scariest email I've ever gotten. I was so unhappy for a couple of days because <laughs> like I spent two years on this thing and I, I had wrapped it up and put it to bed. And, and, you know, I had made peace with the fact that it wasn't going to include this new movie, which was then called Soggy Bottom, theoretically. That was a fun day when I went through and you know, search replaced Soggy Bottom <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Because it was just me saying like, and of course there is this other movie coming out called Soggy Bottom and we don't know anything about it, but I'm sure it's not gonna impact any of my arguments here. And of course it impacted every single one of my arguments. It was, it's, you know, changed the entire shape of the book. <laughs> But like, what could be better going into a revision than having this amazing, beautiful new movie that is just, you know, given me all this new fuel for it. So the idea is uh, that it'll be out in stores for uh, next holiday shopping 2022, this current year's holiday shopping. That's the goal. So amazing. Yeah. Just got to get it over the line. A couple <laughs> more chapters to revise. <laughs> That's so brilliant. I can't wait to read it. I know that, um, uh, Adam Naiman gave me a greater appreciation and he's just great in his books, both on the Coens and PTA and Fincher. He's like, 
you know, he's, he says it in his like very pragmatic Canadian way of like, you got to quote people, you got to quote people. Like, and his books are so rich in the quotes of great writings on all the directors that he does. And I just feel like, um, that kind of made me go like, there's always other ways to tackle it. And it just gave me this thing of like that just trusting one voice on a favorite director is not necessarily the way that you go. Like it's a big triangulation. And so like you got like, I think about it in the terms of Michael Mann, like FX Feeney did that great Tashan book. It's got so much great stuff. There's so many other great writings on Michael Mann. And then there's, you know, one that I'm dying for uh, an English translation of, which is John Baptiste Theray's new Michael Mann book. Um, uh, a, a great guest who a couple of his great pieces on Mann have been translated into English, but not many. But so it's like exciting, exciting now that the, the growing Paul Thomas Anderson book canon is going to include you because I know there's so many great pieces that have obviously gone on to Brightwall and things like that. But today we're talking about a deeply dad movie. It's 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 peak dad time for you. Kids are in bed, full week. Like last night, I was like wearily watching. I, I watched two movies last night. I was watching a Jerry Lewis movie called Hook, Line and Sinker, which is like a comedy about a, a, like a dad who whose doctor tells him that he has a fake heart condition in order to slide in and take over the role in his family. And he doesn't kind of realize it until sort of halfway through the movie. The second half of the movie is much better than the first. But then I watched... Aguirre, The Wrath of God, which is a deeply Friday night dad movie because it's mm -hmm. like, it's, you, you just feel like the toil of existence. So um, perfectly timed for you and I to talk about The Mitchells versus The Machines, which I mean is, if you haven't seen it, it is just this truly uh, utterly brilliant film um, by a couple of brilliant filmmakers, Michael Reander and Jeff Rowe, both guys who are associated with Gravity Falls, which is one of the best, you know, I, I would say like borderline, like more sort of, you know, tween kids stuff. Like it's a kid's show, but it's absolutely got all this depth and weird references and things like that, much in the style of like Paranorman as well. Um, but this was just such a special movie. It gets released on Netflix. It made a, a nice splash at the beginning of the year, but it doesn't certainly doesn't have as catchy a song as like we, we don't talk about Bruno no no so um you have so many <laughs> don't people get that me started I know right I'm I'm not I mean Encanto seems great the kids seem to like it but man when I watched this movie uh I was completely blown away by it and it's continued to resonate and I have to thank the great people um, involved in the film and and you know you get sometimes if you're lucky enough to get a little bit of like swag as a film critic occasionally and they sent out this brilliant Mitchell's versus the machines uh, illustrated sort of making of book with all of the films, you know, aspirations uh, from an aesthetic style. And it came with this gorgeous little, uh, this little moose, which has a great deal of significance in the film. Uh, and uh, that it comes with that and it takes pride of place in my office and on my desk. And so I want to talk to you about this movie because I truly think it's brilliant. I completely agree. It's the first time I was watching it, it sort of, just sort of washed over me as like, you know, this is the new animated comedy and it's, it's a lot, it's very overstimulating. And it just snuck up on me gradually over the course of the movie. And then by the end had me, you know, choked up. And then just over the course of the year, like so much that I watched sort of fell away for me. Yes. And this one just hung with me. Like it's just such a special, unique little thing that, is so much better than the pitch and so much better than the poster. And, and both of those are great. Like it's got a great <laughs> hook, but there is a depth of care 
to it and a, and a depth of um, feeling and, and significance. And you can tell that it is something that is is drawn so much from the director's own life. And, and even before you see the photos in that lovely book that they sent us, um, where you see that they have literally recreated some images from the director's childhood in this movie, like the part where he fought the robots. No, um, <laughs> you know, the dad's jacket is, is his dad's jacket. And, uh, you know, they've got family photos in the movie that are recreations of his family photos. Um, I've got a quote right here, right off the bat that I just love. I've been holding on to, um, Rianda appeared on a show called The Movie Podcast, which guys, good job squatting <laughs> on that title. <laughs> he said, if we make everything radiating with love, then it will shoot off the screen and into people's hearts. And they did it. It just, it worked. And yeah, it good it, for them. It's, this is the thing that, you know, it's so silly to say. And you feel silly when younger, when you're younger and people say it to you. And then when you finally have kids, you realize how like just profoundly true it is. And you're like, oh, what, what, I can't believe I didn't understand until now, which is that like truly once you have kids, literally nothing else in the world even come close to mattering as much as them. Like you literally want to lay down your whole life on it. And this movie, apart from being that, you know, sort of it's got those fun family it's got some real, like real family things of like a, a mom who like looks at like the, the nice family on Instagram and their perfect lives. And, and it's so, so deeply relatable. And you've got a dad who's a bit of a dork and um, can't quite understand what his kids are into. And you've got all these things like time passing you by. And then you've got like laying down what your passions are in lieu of your kids and and not not that that's a bad sacrifice, not that you're like doing yourself an injustice, but that you would be willing to do it for them. And it has these really deep emotions inside. As you said, I think you said like it's over, almost overstuffed, overstimulating with things. And and I think I love a movie that is overstuffed with care because you can go back and watch it again and be like, oh, this is awesome. And it plays. And um, I've recently like transitioned uh, like my day job career to be a, like a high school teacher. And towards the end of last really? year... Yeah. Yeah. I've spent cool. the last, I've spent the last year studying, um, uh, not having, uh, not working in a corporate job anymore, like studying and doing university, uh, which is why last year was the most ridiculously busy year ever. Why there's been a few brief hiatuses on things like Zodiac Chronicle. Cause I was literally drowning in university work and teaching. Um, uh, and I did that transition and why I say that is like in one of my very last lessons, I had a really high performing class. We were ahead of our work. It was like the, the last class of the year on the last day of the year. I think it was our second last period. And rather than getting them to like do work, they'd submitted all their assignments and stuff. You know, you do that traditional thing of like, let's throw something on. And it was age appropriate. They were like um, a little older. I was like, I'm going to see just how the first 40 minutes of Mitchell's versus the machine plays for these kids. Um, it was about well, 45 by the time we got the movie on. And I was so pleased because I was watching all these young kids whose attention spans are usually so fleeting watching this movie and like really getting into it. Like really, like I was watching the whole room and I reckon I had 95% of the class and then like at least five or six kids can reconfirm what the movie's name was and where they could find it on streaming before they left the class. And I was like, 
I'd seen that. I'd watched it a few times. I watched I watched it once uh, for to file a review for it for Dark Horizons. I watched it again with my wife because I'm like, we have to watch this because I, I think you need to see it. Um, and I've tried a few times with my little kids, but they're a little too little. But the, the younger kids now, like high school age, I was like, I wa- they watched it and they were really into it. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, but they'd never heard of it. Like it just disappeared. It just got swallowed by the algorithm. And so it was so nice to help introduce that um, and have multiple lenses and multiple layers to see the young kids were having a great experience with it. Parents were having a great experience with it and individuals having great experiences with it. And yeah, it's a, a, I, I just think they, they've really mastered something here. Well, it's funny that they were so taken with the beginning because you have the cold open with the crazy apocalypse happening, but then <laughs> the beginning is very slow. It, it's not slow necessarily, but it's, they intentionally start with the domestic stuff and they introduce the emotional core of it before you even start layering in any of the technology stuff. And I showed it to my kids who are uh, three and five and one, she was bombing around at the same time too, um, <laughs> completely overstimulated her. But the same, same thing, um, the three and the five-year-old bought into the emotional grounding of, you know, a father struggling to connect with his <laughs> Uh, 18 year old or so daughter, um, it, it just speaks, it speaks so authentically, I think is what it is that it's really hard not to be taken with it. And it speaks so directly to us as movie geeks. I almost feel like it's cheating a little bit, like how many Hal Ashby references there are. (laughs) It's, 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 you know, it's, it's a movie about, uh, making movies and wanting to make movies, but they do not just stick on the surface. They really show their bona fides in terms of uh, just how how film nerdy they they want to get. And like I say, it's sometimes when uh, us film critics got all excited about the movie, I'm like, they were pandering to you a little bit, but at the same time, it's authentic. It's I, I'll use that word a million times in this movie. It's yeah. it's. it's clearly coming from a place of, of sincerity from the director. I, I think um, that's one thing that the Lego Batman movie did really well for me is they absolutely were pandering. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply with lots of references and lots of silly quotes and mirrored lines and this and that. But the whole point is like, oh, we we don't just love one style of Batman. We're not here to tell you that this is the only Batman you can love. They're like, we love all Batman. The weird, the wonderful, the King Tut of like the Adam West Batman. Like we love that as much as we love Jack Nicholson's The Joker, as much as we love The Dark Knight, as much as we love Batfleck, you know, like they were just, that that movie just burst with love and you sort of see it, it's like, 
yeah, we love it all. Like it's, we love all the stupid stuff. We love, we love Robin in his tights. We love it. We're not here to say that that's not possible in our bat world. Like we want it to be there. So reminded me a lot of that experience for Batman fans, but I think, yeah, there's, there's a really glib like pandering way that you can play to film critics. And as you said, like it, it all comes down to like, what's the intent and is it, is it disingenuous? And when, when you know that it's like deeply who, the, who these guys are and all these filmmakers and all the artists, oh my God, this incredible, um, which is why I love it so much, like genuine innovation. It's not just like using an engine to create their stories and, and have some, you know, sort of similar, like, I think that like the Disney's of it all, they've got their own like engines and worlds and character designs that they then replicate across multiple movies. But what's really exciting me about Mitchell's and the other previous movie, which I think is a stone cold masterpiece into the spider verse is this is the genuine innovation, you know, like the way that, the way that they express the the Spider-Verse coming in, the way that they tinker with the different animation styles, the way that they tinker with the physics of each character. It's like this movie does that and they're just going hell for leather. And it just seems like how much more can we get into every frame that is going to be rewarding on a rewatch? And I think that that's in animation, it's like your only limit is your imagination and I guess the amount of money <laughs> that you have to to do that. But um, yeah, that's what I love about this movie as well is that it, it kind of is overstuffed where it needs to be overstuffed and then it like strips itself back when it wants to just be completely authentic to the characters in each moment. So yeah, I, I, I have so much of affection for all of that. But it and also it feels like it shifts in styles too. Like you said, right, it starts off slow, very authentic and then like the technology stuff comes in and you're in this epic you know, unbelievable, boundless sci-fi dystopia. It's awesome. Well, and something that I really love about how they made the movie is they intentionally are fighting their own technology. Have you read up at all on sort of the development of, of how they made this? Yes, I have, but you go, because I want I want, I would like you to wax lyrical on it. Well, it's, you know, you're, you're doing computer animation and the computer is trying to, uh, force everything to be straight lines and sort of as clean and perfect as possible. But this is a movie about a messy group of messy people <laughs> yes. uh, who are overstuffed with their imperfections and their flaws. It's it's the whole, you know, gist of the movie is it's their flaws that make them who they are. And it's their flaws that will ultimately overpower the uh, evil machines. Um or just misunderstood machines that didn't want to get bopped in the face and dropped in the toilet as much <laughs> as they were. Um, so they had to, they were, they were forcing the computers to accept the sort of imperfections that they were asking for. And um, the, the example that they use is that Rick's jacket has all the little fibers on it that they needed to be chaotic to effectively convey what the texture of this jacket is. And the computer is pushing back and they're saying, no, it's gotta be this. And it just, it's the whole idea of the movie literally in the seams of it, which I love. Yeah, it's, and every time they were like, they were rewriting also the algorithm. So you see, um, it, it's, you see Katie, who's voiced by Abby Jacobson, who's the the protagonist of the movie. Um, she doodles and squiggles and does her own storyboards for all of her different designs. And they burst through in these little like imaginative moments where you sort of see inside her vision of like recreating these movie things. Hey, my dad looks like that screaming monkey from the internet and like it jumps on and you see how that all changes and those things and the little squiggles of all those sorts of things. And they said they had to actually write an algorithm that 
um, continually spat out different and also equally uh, imperfect squiggles and things like that because it kept trying to make everything uniform. And it was like, no, we have to like reverse engineer it so that when these squiggles sort of like vomit all over the screen at the same time, they're not just, they look organic and they look authentic. They look like someone who's doodling in a, in a pad rather than a computer that's like making everything symmetrical and perfect and, and, and organic, you know, we want it to be organic. We, it, it's that great mixture of like, we are literally using the most inorganic tool to make a movie that feels deeply authentic and organic. And so it's that nice wrestle through that whole thing. And even, even just the two, dopey robots who they who malfunction and become their friends just the dopey squiggles on their faces is just so deeply amusing because they're so trash they're so bad and it's like oh you could totally have had them do something else but no the the way that they are really bad i think is just so endearing it is and and i really love that um they they make the uh backdrops are, are uh, intentionally meant to evoke uh, sort of pastels and watercolors. Yes. Which is very unusual. Um, something that I can only think of like Lilo and Stitch and Ponyo yeah. are the only two <laughs> yes. comparison points I can think of. Um, man, there's just so many ways this movie could have been so much easier and dumber and probably still gotten good reviews. But yeah, I don't know. Mike Rianda and, and your co-director whose name is not on the tip of my tongue. I apologize. Uh, Jeff Wright. Hats off to those guys. Yes. Um, just they're just smart and they worked really hard. And is it uh, Lord and Miller? Is that the names of the uh, Lord and Miller, producers? Yeah, producers. Yeah. Um, who just have really managed to like what are what are comparable names that just are a stamp of quality at this point? Like if you're seeing a movie with Lord and Miller's name on it, chances are you're going to be seeing something extraordinarily good. Yeah, and fun. And just yes. never not fun. I remember, um, I remember walking out of, uh, you know, like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which they had a lot to do with and those things. And one of my friends, a big friend of the show and also a patron, Stu Coot, uh, was being his antagoni- uh, antagonistic shitbag self on Twitter. And he's like, hey, imagine if these guys got to make a Star Wars movie. <laughs> and oh I was God. just, I was just like, I was like, and and, ever, and then a few people like sincerely didn't realize that he was actually completely taking the piss because they were obviously acrimoniously separated from Solo uh, midway through whatever they were doing Pour with it. Pour one out, yeah. Uh, yeah, and pull one out for those guys. But it was just so funny. And I was like, yeah, see how something can show you how much it loves it and not be too serious and actually be genuinely fun. Like these guys seem to have it in spades. And, you know, I, I mean, everything from... 21 Jump Street, which has no right to be as hilarious as it is. That's just yeah. outstanding. Um, but yeah, these, and I mean, I'm really sorry to anyone who thoroughly enjoys uh, Far, is it Far From Home? Can't Get Home? Which Spider-Man, Far, f- there's Homecoming. No Way Out. No, no way, way Home, home? and Far From Home, because they really dug in on that convention for some reason. Yeah, whichever one is... Uh, the most recent one, which made a quazillion dollars at the box office. As much as it's nice, and yes, Toby Maguire, yeah, Garfield, yeah. I mean, look, I love Andrew. I, I'm, I'm the guy who's on the, I'm, 
I'm the guy who's totally the stand for even the second Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, which is so weird. Um, really? Because, yeah. yeah. I love that movie so much. I, I deeply love it. I was actually, I'm waiting for the appropriate time to pitch an article on that for Brightwall. So just there's your warning right there. Because All like, right. I think the emotional reality, like the, it's like, for me, it's like a hammer horror, like hammer horror, universal movie monster style like human like in the most operatic sense of like creating these villains and then at the same time there's this most authentic and genuine relationship between two people because emerson and garfield at the time were together and so all of the chemistry just like like as you know um michael reander said is like it literally shoots through the screen into your heart and you feel this genuine connection because toby Maguire is a block of wood. Like he has no human emotions. He's a cyborg basically. And he has nothing. And Tom Holland and Zendaya look, they're very cute. Um, but Andrew Garfield is just weird. And I like, and there's something weird and they're just, you know, tit for tat. I think you only have to have seen the most recent Spider-Man to know that like Andrew Garfield acts the pants off everyone who's in that movie. And so I feel like in his own movie, he was just so special. And I just love that kind of like universal movie monster, larger than life, operatic, you know, Jamie Foxx, Electra. I hate the quipping nonsense. I like, I like the monster, you know, and, and I think Dane DeHaan just going full Nicolas Cage, Klaus Kinski, Green Goblin style. Like that's, that's the kind of dopey movie that I want to see. And so, um, yeah, I just, I think that to, to get back to my point is like, no one out there in the world, and I think this is that weird thing of like a live action movie is better than an animated movie, blah, blah, blah. But there's no one in the world that could possibly tell me that Into the Spider-Verse isn't 50 times, conservatively, 50 times better than that recent movie. It's like, it's so much better. The characters are so much better. My kids have watched that movie. This is how I know a movie's good is because I'll actually watch it with them when a movie's on repeat. I reckon that conservatively, they've watched it 250 times. There's just no way that it hasn't been on less than that in the last two years in our house. And my son even has made me put the trailer on for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse many times. And he's like, dad, can we go to the movies tomorrow and see that? And I'm like, nah, man, it's not coming out for like nine months. So you have to wait. (laughs) But I just think it's so brilliant. It's so innovative. The characters are amazing. Miles is amazing. All the voice actors are amazing. You know, uh, it's just, everything is so, so loaded and stuffed and great and, unique and uh yeah it's just so so much more brilliant in my mind and i again those guys lord and miller are, their footprints are all over that too now i'm curious you said that your kids are not ready for the mitchells versus machines but they've seen spider-verse well they haven't been drawn in i think it's that slow beginning they're not getting past it to the robots and so they're uh, kind okay. of a bit like my son watches ghostbusters ethan he just he watched he he but that has somehow interested him and scared him enough and he can get through it, even though that movie is like not necessarily age appropriate. He doesn't understand anything that's going on. So that's okay. But, um, you know, he watches that, but I, they haven't quite gotten through that yet, but I know it's waiting for them. They just need to be able to get that little bit extra patience. But my daughter, um, I think my daughter's ready. My, my son's not, but, uh, but sure. into the spider verse, cause it's just got so much Spider-Man. There's like, of course. And for well, him, I, I, yeah. Spider-Man is Miles Morales. <laughs> he's like miles well, it's like that works that's his spider-man yeah i thought you were saying that this movie was too intense for them because something that i find fascinating about my kids is 
a lot because they're amazing little creatures. But this movie they could hack. You know what they cannot hack is Bluey. My kids are so stressed out by Bluey. And all I can figure <laughs> is I love that show because I it is so, speaking of things that are authentic, like I watch that show and I just recognize myself in that big dog. And <laughs> Bandit recognize- is a, father, a fathering hero of mine too. He's absolutely a king, absolute king. Well, I love that they show him making mistakes and they show him screwing up and figuring it out and getting back. I mean, and what are these episodes like five or 10 minutes long? Seven minutes. There you go. Um, And it stresses my kids the hell out because (laughs) I think they don't want to see mirrored back at them a dad who screws up and has to figure it out. (laughs) It's been really interesting to see. Um, But that's that's when you do with your kids, right? Yeah, we do. My kids and I do. It's their bedtime ritual. So like, uh, you know, r- routine is so essential, like for your own sanity as a parent in my view and my wife's view. So like we've got a pretty clear routine, like dinner time after dinner, there's like a tiny bit of time, then bath time. And then, you know, they'll, they'll come downstairs and they'll usually have about, let's say 20 minutes to half an hour before it's their bedtime after those things are done. And so Bluey is like, Bluey, we're putting on two to three episodes and then it's bedtime. And so, yeah, we watch it every night and they love it. And actually what's funny is the episodes I'm finding that they really resonate with, Bluey has a little cousin called Muffin who is very naughty and very spoiled. And she's also quite stressful too. Like for me as a dad, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, she's very stressful because she's such a little bundle of chaos. And um, I'm finding my kids actually not only love Bluey, like universally, love the mistakes. They very much laugh at Bandit. They love everything that he does. Um, But they also deeply love now watching Muffin because she's so naughty. And I find that they learn from the like the morality tales of them, like her being naughty and then realizing she's been really naughty. They really like that too. So yeah, our, our kids are obsessed with Bluey. Like they just, that's the, sh- I mean, we're not alone. It's the, it's the most popular show in our country for a reason, I think. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's so deeply great. And uh, it's funny that they get stressed. That's so, it's so cute. It's like, I don't want this realness, dad. It's too real. I know. Well, and it's, you know, I, I, don't find the robot apocalypse stuff in the Mitchells versus the machine stressful, but I sure find it stressful <laughs> when, you know, the dad can't connect with his kid anymore and you're getting the flashbacks to, you know, God, I mean, it's just brutal when you get the flashbacks to Katie at the age that my kids are now. Yeah. And you know, that she and Rick are so connected and then they're drifting apart. It's, it is a harrowing movie to watch on that level. I just tacked us right back to this movie (laughs) sort of incidentally. Sorry that we're, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. Terrible thing to do. No, um, it's there. This movie is, is such a ridiculous dad tearjerker that like, I feel like I'm holding back a little bit, just even talking about it. Like it, it makes me feel so sort of seen and recognized in the most beautiful way. Like, my family's a mess, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we are like the Mitchell's house. The outside looks like the outside of my house with just toys everywhere. And, you know, the family always tripping over each other and, and, uh, the chaos. I mean, what have I, what did I do today? Um, my 
I had my two kids in the car and we hit a sheet of ice on our driveway and slid sideways halfway down the driveway. <laughs> oh my God. A few hours later, I watched the one-year-old do a header off the couch onto her skull. Oh. And it's just, you know, life as a parent has the potential for so much ridiculous mess and near disaster. And what this movie does that's so special to me is promise like the stuff that you feel the worst about is actually what could probably save the day. Yes. It's what it's, it's your weird little idiosyncrasy that, you know, sometimes makes things hard and ultimately makes you, you and makes your ordinary family potentially extraordinary. I think that is quite a special message and I really appreciate this movie for it. It's so special. It's, and you know, when, when uh when Katie's little brother, who I absolutely love, um, Aaron is calling everyone in the phone book to ask if he wants if they want to talk to him about dinosaurs. Like at the moment my son is so he's found Ghostbusters and he just is so obsessed with it that like I I can honestly imagine him doing that. But speaking of those things, like my son did a pirouette the other day in our on our lounge room carpet. And I was like, he did a pirouette and then fell over the chase on our lounge and just <laughs> face planted onto hardwood floor. And I was like, how did you even do that? Like, that is a cartoon, what you just did. Like, you couldn't design. It was like Tex Avery drew him doing that. Like, that's the only explanation physically how that could have occurred. But yeah, you know, our kids like racing through the house, like getting into like crashing heads, you know, those it just, it's, I mean... Oh, and the mess, the me- the never-ending mess. My friend has described it of like cleaning up after your kids while they're awake is like trying to wipe yourself while you're still mid going to the bathroom. Like it's just that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> never-ending. Oh, yep. but yeah, this movie has all of that, all those little little messy corners that I think people sometimes are afraid to say that that's what they do or like to explain how they actually cope. You know, like that. Right now, I'm talking to you. And I can just see myself last night, like as soon as my kids go to bed and I can actually genuinely unwind, it's, it's a, it's a really special, you know, it's, um, it's a special like time. So I'm grateful even more so that you're able to even communicate right now because I probably couldn't have last night, to be honest. Yeah. Well, two nights ago, I was asleep by this time, 8.42 (laughs) PM. If we weren't doing this, I probably would be again. Oh, wipe you out. Yeah. They wipe you out. Look, Thank you so much. I'll I'll let us wrap up so you can actually have some rest. Bless you for doing oh, this. Oh, I've got a lot of cleanup to do before we do that. No, I know that. So, I mean, you're going to clean up and do yeah. that. But yeah. thank you so much for your immense support, both just quietly, uh, you know, encouragements uh, that we've had together and directly as a patron and everything that you've done to share um, the work that we've done together and just being so, you know, just so helpful in everything thanks for being a part of all the projects that we've done it's just been truly immense i mean i i loved having you on all the projects that we've done but particularly i also like really fondly remember that all the president's men because like talking about bradley stuff was um and your dad was so such such a nice little thing so look thank you for everything thank you for talking to me about this movie um and uh and and thank you for giving me an excuse on uh roman red to talk about bluey as well which is um also deeply my shit 
we need to hit one thing. Um, is there an elevator scene in the Mitchells versus the Machines? Because I did the elevator minute in in Heat, and I did the elevator <laughs> minute in All the President's Men. They must ride an elevator. There's there's all kinds of like there's of all kinds of ports in that oblong or whatever I mean, they are in, the, in that giant spaceship at the end there's right. some kind of transportation system so well, yeah and what are what are the pods if not their own <laughs> elevators so this is this is a movie all about elevators that's my niche that i'm gonna fill and we have to uh, respect I, that going forward i don't know if there's some kind of pulley system um to transport uh fruit and meat uh in in master and commander that'll be the next one that we talk about some kind of elevator scene in there perfect um but you know at least raising stairs if we have to go lo-fi we'll do the old thing but look yeah you're the best thank you so much i appreciate you and uh and thank you for talking to me about this uh this movie that like really kicks you in the heart <laughs> um, uh, it's it's just so beautiful sure does well thank you for having me man this has been a lot of fun and i mean god god you're the best in the biz <laughs> oh thank you man that's you're the best thank you When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.